From San Francisco, California, I'm Frank Ling, and you're listening to the Rock Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way it affects our daily lives. Coming up with today's show, a conversation about science, truth, and the open web. back to the program. Well, today we're joined by a very special guest, Carrie Che, the Director of Features Engineering at the Wikimedia Foundation. Uh, Terry is an old colleague of mine from my college days at Caltech. And we start our conversation today with the question, is the scientific enterprise driven by the quest for a social or a common good? Is well, it? I, I think it's more about going for the truth, not for social good. But isn't the, isn't the truth a social good? One would hope, yes. but that's not an expectation. Like in economics, you have this concept of Pareto efficiency. Okay. And the idea is not that Pareto efficiency creates social good. That's a myth that's been created in recent times. Um, the idea is that Pareto efficiency is a prerequisite for social good, right? That social mm. good stuff is in welfare economics that doesn't discuss Pareto efficiency, right? right. Welfare economics imagines that there is something called the social welfare function. But what you're saying is, is that for us to do socially good things, we must at least be efficient about it or know where we're introducing inefficiencies in as a cost for social good. Okay. Right? And that's in an area economics, which isn't really considered a real science, right? It's considered a social science. So so I don't necessarily agree that the social good is is I mean, it would be nice. We assume, as scientists, that a prerequisite for social good is the truth. Right. Right? And so, yes, maybe indirectly we're trying to do the social good or whatever. Uh But what we're really saying is, is, look, you can't even discuss social good unless you've at least tried to seek out the truth. We came from a school whose motto, I believe the official motto motto of Caltech is the truth shall set you free. Our unofficial motto is the truth will rape you over because because all the classwork we had to do. But but the truth is a worthy endeavor in its own right because the truth is the starting point for a rational discussion about things. Okay. And I don't agree that, um, that, that the scientists are willing to go the next step and talk about social good i think um they some in recent times have but in general scientists are, are perfectly happy seeking out the truth and hoping that a different group of people use the truths that they found to create social good but they don't see themselves as politicians or other people mm-hmm. or, or activists or, or community organizers or other people whose duty it is to create social good by itself right mm-hmm. but science comes from I guess some people go a sense of ideals, right? I don't know. Doesn't science come from empiricism? Mm-hmm. I mean, at one time, science was just a branch of philosophy. Yes. And it's a branch of yes. philosophy where the philosophy of empiricism gave us the possibility of, of discerning true statements from untrue statements. 
Christians. Okay. Right? Before that, we could argue how many angels dance on the head of a pin. We could argue over whether or not the pineal gland was the center of our seat of consciousness and the mind-body problem. Mm -hmm. But um, but somehow empiricism came and gave us an ability to eliminate whole classes of things. Like, for instance, in the mind-body problem, as you know, is like this concept of this fundamental inconsistency between our concept of free will or or our mind right. and the fact that it's tied to this physical meat space called our brain. Yes. And um, so which is it? Is it something that exists outside physical laws or is it totally tied and predictable in physical laws? Or so is example is when I see a color, is that something innate or is it really just a bunch of neurons firing uh, because my vision has detected red? Right. Or that's called qualia or uh -huh. this example of, if I do something, is it really, is there an intention that is beyond and not reducible to a bunch of physical equations or right. a behavior, a set of programming in us? Right. Are we simply a victim of our habits right. or uh, of our programming or are we something more than the sum of its parts? And that is the concept of a mind-body problem. And it's uh -huh. been around for a while. And what I'm saying is, is, that an example would be a common argument uh, against an area of, uh, of, of that philosophy called functionalism, which came about due to computer sciences, mm -hmm. this idea that you resolve the mind-body problem by seeing we're implementing an algorithm, okay. is this idea that people think, that philosophers think, that um, a bucket of water mm -hmm. could be argued to be intelligent then. If I can just find a function that maps the atoms on a bucket of water because there are 10, there's 10 to the 23 of them right. or more uh -huh. uh, onto like some sort of mapping, then the bucket of water is thinking. This is an argument that actually carries water, pardon the pun, in, in this area of, of philosophy. Mm -hmm. And science has disproved it. The science that has disproved it is a bucket of water sitting there is not moving energy around. And information theory says that unless entropy is increasing somewhere, then no information processing is being done by this bucket of water, mm -hmm. right? So it is as simple as it seems, meaning the bucket of water cannot be mapped. There is no mathematical mapping. There's no homomorphism between this bucket of water and some higher thought process going on. There is none. It doesn't matter that there are 10 to the 23 atoms because entropy isn't really changing in a bucket of water just sitting there, mm -hmm. right? So we should dismiss that argument outright because right. empiricism gives us that power to dismiss it outright. Okay. And that is where science uh, has moved beyond, say, philosophy. It, it literally has eliminated whole classes of arguments and philosophy has moved to other areas. And I kind of lost my train of thought there, but I'm trying to explain this concept of where we come from in science. Yeah. And what I'm trying to say when I, I say these sort of things is, mm -hmm. is just that I don't believe that science comes from this belief in creating necessarily a social good, okay. but more in terms of determining the truth and that the, yes. the truth can lead us to that social good. Uh -huh. So if we determine that um, that lightning is actually a form of electricity, a social good that comes out of it, that someone that happens to be embodied in the same person who discovered this right. is the concept of a lightning rod that can save thousands of lives from lightning strikes mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but 
I don't think when he was doing, uh, when Ben Franklin was making that discovery, he was thinking, oh, I'm going to be able to save millions of lives right. everywhere he with just it. Curious. He's curious about yeah. what the truth, the nature of truth is. Uh, and how is that a, a conservative value, that the pursuit of just being I, curious? I, when I say conservative value, I mean uh, two things. Uh, I think in one respect, I mean... It's natural for a science to want to hold all external variables constant when they're doing research. Okay. And in my opinion, to a scientist, political stuff is an external variable that's just going to mess with their focus on the problem at hand. Okay. And so, therefore, I don't think, um, I think they'd naturally be conservative right. in the small c sense towards the political universe because they feel that having social activism or any sort of progressivism against that sort of thing is uh, runs contrary to the their single-minded focus for the truth and and that is one sense and then the other thing as a whole the body of science mm -hmm. is generally biased against radical changes right um, we have this concept in Thomas Kuhn of paradigm shifts and the point is is not everybody's capable of generating a paradigm shift. I mean, we would dream of being the person who changes our view of the universe or something like that. Mm -hmm. But in reality, the work that 99% of us do as scientists, well, I should say if you do, because I'm no longer in science, mm -hmm. but that 99% of that is not about destroying what's there, creating a revolution what's here. It's more about filling in the cracks of the structure we've created, mm -hmm. proving that Einstein was right or someone was right about this this piece of information or that piece right. of information. Right, you mean providing a narrative to what... Yeah, and making know. sure and testing it again because we might find that it was wrong. Yes. But look, look at the thing. You remember when we were in school, they had a Millikan's actual notebooks that he used to, that he won the Nobel Prize with about the weight of the electron. And yeah. you know he threw out data, yeah. right? And actually, the number he got for the weight of the electron was actually uh, too large or too small, and it's been mm -hmm. creeping up or down uh, since then. Mm -hmm. um, the point is, is he threw out data because it was too much of an outlier to what his preconceived notion should be. He kind of did that, and it, it, it seems a little strange for a non-scientist looking at that to realize that we're human, too. We're right. fallible, right. and we make... We have preconceived notions. Uh -huh. And the point is, while we can be radical as individuals, as scientists or whatever, the whole of science is relatively conservative to change. So that once they had the radical concept that an electron is a discrete sort of event that can be measured or is, has a discrete weight associated with it, uh -huh. once we did that and that was the massive revolution, it happened where we get that actual value of that weight of that electron through uh, this gradual uh, movement, uh, conservative movement, if you will, mm -hmm. towards it because they were resistant, again, to radical changes, even though, in theory, if science was not conservative, it should immediately have jumped in the next experiment yeah. by even someone, anyone other than Millikan, straight to the actual value, or at least it should have overshot. But it didn't. It, it gradually went towards the value that we know today. And those two are examples of, I'd say, conservatism in, in our views. And uh, what I was trying to say is it's unnatural when you see so many people who are 
a scientist voting liberal, mm -hmm. then it's probably the signal of a massive, massive, unusual... Abnormality? Abnormality in our economic or sociopolitical system. Mm -hmm. Because these people are naturally predisposed to it, you know? Just like uh, most of the German scientists who weren't Jewish were naturally predisposed to feeding Hitler's war machine. I mean, they obviously, you know, they were killing all the Jews, obviously... If they were all about social justice, they should, all should have left Germany and came to a country that was not doing those sort of things. Mm -hmm. But actually, the number of them is, is very, very small who weren't Jewish or who weren't uh, in an unusual position like Enrico Fermi or something like that or Niels Bohr, who mm -hmm. wasn't German, who right. was like uh, Dutch. So we don't see that evidence as a, as a class of body we see more the the Edward Tellers of the world and less the uh, Linus Pollings mm -hmm. uh, the ones who are actually being part of that status quo um, rather than speaking out against it right and uh, of being resistant to that and you know Linus Pauling for many years couldn't get a job right yes. he ended up effectively right? be effectively being fired from our school because of of his activism on that yeah and. You know, my mom remembers him staying at uh, at Joe Mayer's place in San Diego because effectively he was persona non grata in the academic world, even though he had already won a Nobel Prize for protein folding. Right. Right. So it's clear that we have a natural inclination, uh, not we, but science has a natural inclination for this sort of conservative mindset. Now, mm -hmm. in the end, he was vindicated about that and many other things, mm -hmm. everything except for maybe vitamin C. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but in the end, he was vindicated. Science doesn't say that we get there instantly yes. or we get to the right solution. It, it literally says, and this in the social justice sense, that you know the Martin Luther King sense, the arc of history is long, right. but it depends towards justice. And in the same way, uh, scientists' arc is very long, but it does bend towards the truth, and it does favor the truth, even though it may not jump there very fast or in fits and starts, because if it were to accept all the input, if right. it were to accept all the input is equally valid, mm -hmm. then it is susceptible to things like when in your area where, you know, eleven a survey of 11,000 papers or something like that says that only five papers of them deny global warming, says that there's a controversy there. Right. Or how, how like, the fact is, as we call it, a theory of evolution means that we should, quote-unquote, teach the controversy of evolution. There is no controversy in evolution, right? Yes, there are some people who work in biology who don't believe in evolution because their religion pre precludes it. But by and large, even the religious ones do. And, and other people you know, whatever, right? But there is really, as a whole, no controversy when you're faced with numbers like 11,000 to 5 or something like that. And if we were to give those 5 an equal weight just because it sits on the other end of the spectrum mm -hmm. as the 11,000, we know inherently as scientists, that's unfair, right? right. That, that those 5, because it's such a radical 
radical view needs a much stronger burden of proof than just five random papers that probably didn't get really accepted into prestigious peer-reviewed magazines. And it is unfair. I mean, it is unfair because sometimes somewhere out there, maybe there is someone with an Einstein-level idea who happens to be at a university that isn't prestigious enough to get published in Nature or something like that. And we know that that's unfair. Yeah. But we know that eventually, if that person is right, eventually we will bend towards that truth. Right. It just won't happen very fast unless that person went to Harvard or something. Right. So do you think scientists in general are satisfied or driven by the idea that even if their contribution is really small or maybe even wrong, but they're still pushing the cause forward? Yeah, I don't know because I'm not in science anymore. So you, I should probably ask you that. Uh-huh. Or do you think that scientists do feel that way? Do you think that... Um, that they're satisfied with not being the one who creates the paradigm shift that changes everything. I mean, I, I've seen it both ways. I've seen people who are, you know, humbled by the fact that they could do something, and then I've seen people who are very petty about, you know, the smallest of, of results in their pursuit for you know, recognitions. You know, yeah. I've seen it both and, ways. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you something. Is um, I work at a company... And um, we do a, a study of, uh, we did a study where people just at the managerial level filled out some sort of personality test. Mm -hmm. And in this personality test, not one of the managers was actually uh, scored high. In fact, every single person scored low as a revolutionary or someone who basically tears down the infrastructure, right? right? So that would imply that none of us are revolutionary. But the movement itself, uh -huh. the movement of to collect the sum of all human knowledge and give it to everyone everywhere for free, it's not just to collect it like, say, a Google of the world, but actually that it is our obligation to provide it to back to the world for free, mm -hmm. you know, to make it available to everyone for free. Mm -hmm. um, that is a very radical prescription, even though none of the members are revolutionary. The mm -hmm. whole concept itself, the movement itself is revolutionary. Mm -hmm. So in the same way, I would posit that even though as individual scientists, they may be doing work that... Uh, quote-unquote fills in the tracks or whatever, the thing that they're doing, the, the movement of the area that they're in in science, the theories that they're proving, mm -hmm. themselves are revolutionary movements, right? Because mm -hmm. they, they, they changed our imagination and right. they, they radically uh, provide structures by which we see and understand the universe around we, us to a radical perspective. Like where science st stands today versus where... Our perception of the universe is uh, 100, 200, 300 years ago is radically different. Mm -hmm. It is literally a revolution. Oh, yeah. And it's not just a revolution created by the Einsteins of the world. It's a revolution created by all of them in yes. the world. So maybe the reason they can be happy is the same reason why every member of the foundation mm -hmm. is not a revolutionary in mm -hmm. of themselves. Right. But that because they're just part of a greater uh, movement yeah. in there and uh -huh. the scientists see that their role in that and mm -hmm. that's what drives them mm -hmm. but i don't know because i'm not in science anymore see right. so i'm gonna you know i'm gonna blame you for it or, or something like that right there's a documentary that's going to come out next year about the web uh -huh. and the concept of that documentary is the web is a human right that people should be 
and I think the UN passed some resolution to that effect. Right. But that people should be given that access to the information. They shouldn't have to pay for it or anything like that. Uh-huh. It is as, as fundamental to being human as anything else, that access to that information. Right. And in that documentary, it's about uh, there's a scene where uh, some child in Peru is basically they're, they're given a one OLPC, one yes. laptop per child, and and with its access to Wikipedia, and they basically, their whole world is expanded, uh-huh. right? Like, they are teaching their dad about New York City and other countries, and they themselves are, are reading about all, all this other stuff, right? right. And, um, and uh, it's an amazing thing, because somewhere out there, as uh, a co-worker put it, is that person who's going to cure cancer, and they're probably sitting in Lima, Peru, or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And now... There's a possibility, there's just a possibility that something like the Wikipedia project reaches them and expands their mind Mm -hmm. to be that next person who's going to make that revolution for us. Mm -hmm. And before, those people of the 6 billion people on this earth right now, really, really, honestly, only millions had access to this in uh, before the internet revolution. Now... We are really saying that it is conceivable, it is literally conceivable within our lifetime, that it's already true right now that one billion people have access to information that will allow them to change the world. Mm -hmm. And it is conceivable that all six billion someday, soon, could have access to that information because of things like Wikipedia and what Wikipedia represents. I think that's why... Uh, people have donated so much money mm-hmm. to the thing, and that's why the new things, the new banner ads do very well. The old banner ads were very effective from an advertising standpoint. You have someone staring at you, uh-huh. all the psychology of being stared at causes you to notice the ad, and then you click on it, and maybe you donate. The new ones, there is no one staring at you. What? Is there a problem? No, no, it's just... Just a thought. What, what if it was like a cute cat or dog that, you know, some... Yeah, there is like a, a joke about that. We were we were actually discussing today that it would be kind of funny to uh, to check the referrer fields of who's coming in. And if they're coming in from a place like Reddit, we have like a cat with a gun pointing in. And it's like, donate to us or the kitten gets it. Um, <laughs> it would be interesting to do those sort of things. We never really could do that in the past because our privacy policy precluded that. Right. But, um, but now we can do things... Uh, like that in theory or in practice what we're doing right now is is you're seeing two banner ads right now mm-hmm. if you go to wikipedia right now and then unless you clear your cookies you don't see a banner ad again okay we couldn't do that before because our privacy policy was so strict we couldn't even turn off our banners to stop annoying people uh, uh when they've seen it enough times that it's not really necessary anymore Mm-hmm. Um, things have changed and now we do that because it's the right thing to do right. for people because our purpose is not to make money off banners in Wikipedia mm-hmm. our purpose is just to get enough money so that we can a- achieve our goals and mm-hmm. our one of those goals is to keep the site alive for free for everyone which isn't tied into some you know, corporate solution or something. Not that like a corporate alliance is not good for some products we just don't feel it's the right Thing for Wikipedia um, because you know you can end up in situations where you end up in a situation like let's say Mozilla Mozilla Foundation gets a lot of their money from Google right from the Google ads and things like that Google makes the Chrome browser so in a sense they're being paid by their competitor mm-hmm. right 
because Chrome is doing incredibly well. Yeah. They're being and this like counterpoint power, you know, is very very stressful. I'd imagine, mm -hmm. right? Especially when you run into an area where you have a alignment with a company like Google, like WebM support, which yeah. is the video support. And where Google doesn't go off and only support WebM and not support anything else, but you, because you have an alignment, will support Google's product and carry their water for them, but then try to drop support of QuickTime or, or you know, H.264 and other encoding, you know, uh, codecs and file formats, right? And then find out that, you know, Chrome doesn't because they're their commercial entity deal with market share and you're basically carrying your competitors water now and that can happen when you do that even in the best of circumstances mm -hmm. and the foundation made a decision for better or for worse that um even if it meant taking in less money overall that taking those monies without that strings attached was probably the right decision so the bulk of the money comes from a an average person like someone listening to this uh, sees an ad and donates a little bit of money, like 11 or $13, uh, far more valuable to us than, than, than one, all those little, all those people doing those small donations, far more valuable than one big company like Google donating a, a huge chunk of money because that chunk of money probably comes with a string attached or probably comes where the foundation ends up upon in a larger game being played between, say, uh, Apple and Google over the nature of Siri and Wolfram Alpha and other things, right? That's usually what happens when mm -hmm. you deal with the big bucks. Right. And, um, and the smaller donations freeze up to us to do with what's right without being tied to where the money's coming from. Um, so that even though we might uh, have an alliance with Google on something like um, Wikidata, mm -hmm. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're forced to have that. We may have a strategic alliance there, but we're we're free to to move in other directions if if it's best for what you know for the movement. Um, that isn't the case when you, you get this money. It's certainly not the case when you get this money commercially. So if I if mm -hmm. we actually had commercial banner ads where we're selling ad space on Wikipedia, yes, the encyclopedia is free in the beer sense, but it certainly won't be free in the speech sense, mm -hmm. right? Because that money, uh, those we would become beholden to those advertisers. You know, there's a saying in our industry, the saying is if you're not paying for it, you're you're not the customer. Mm -hmm. You're the product being sold. And um and that is the case. If we were to change our model such that it was banner ads instead of appeals for a donation, it would mean that our customer is not everyone in the world who accesses Wikipedia for free. Mm -hmm. Our customer is now the... Uh, the people uh, paying the ads. Yeah, people paying for the ads. So what about, say, uh, the UN or the World Bank, which you know shares this goal of empowering people around the world? I mean, would you I don't still know. preserve uh, the There's a certain authority? fraction of people who believe that there's blue helmets and black helicopters ordering them on what to do about their disabled child, right? Right. Because they overturned that bill recently. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Honestly, I think those sort of things are outside my pay grade by a mile, okay. by a country mile. Right. So I, I won't really, can't really speak to those things, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm an opinionated person. I probably have opinions about that. Uh -huh. And you can tell what my opinions are from my 
my voice inflection on how I'm talking about um, people with blue helmets or black helicopters <laughs> or whatever. Um, but but nonetheless, I don't think um, that is related to the foundation goals or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, as it pertains to speech and things like that, I think there is that alignment there. I mean, we would be supportive, and we are supportive of things. This idea that the web is a right, and we are anti those things, like the idea of SOPA, as an example. And we are that in spite of a neutral point of view being a pillar of the thing, because there are things that transcend a neutral point of view. Mm -hmm. Like when it's an existential crisis of whether or not Wikipedia can even continue to exist in a world of SOPA, then you have to take a side. And it was tremendous that the community decided to take a side on it, to mm -hmm. decide to, uh, to tell the foundation to black out the website, mm -hmm. um, uh, to, support, uh, to, to, to support the anti-SOPA people. Okay. Um, but it wasn't really our choice. Right. Um, it was really the community of Wikipedia editors and users who, who, who asked us to do this. Mm -hmm. And luckily, because we don't make our money from our website in the way that traditional sites make their money, we can afford to be the only, say, top 10 website. Mm -hmm. I think a place like Reddit may have turned off, and they're in the top, say, 100 or 500 or so. Right. Um, but at least we can do that to actually afford to black out our site because mm -hmm. we've been given that freedom by every donor who's ever donated money to the foundation's mm -hmm. cause. Well, it's been a very fascinating discussion, but unfortunately we're a little bit out of time today. Uh, we will continue our chat with Terry Che, Director of Features Engineering at the Wikimedia Foundation at a later time. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. Make sure you see us on the web at www.groks.net on Facebook and Twitter. You can email us at science at grox.net. Stay tuned here for more music. <laughs>